This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas in educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. Today, we explore new approaches to teacher education in Australia. My guest is Chris Morrissey, a clinical associate professor and director of school partnerships at the University of Canberra. Chris tells me about the school-based teacher education clinics that he helped develop across the Australian Capital Territory. So it's called um, a clinical approach to initial teacher education and the clinical approach brings together the theory and practice and in our case we operate what we call school-based clinics and all of the methods units uh, you see in both primary and secondary undergraduate and postgraduate are taught in schools in a school-based clinic. Chris was named the 2023 Australian Teacher Educator of the Year by the Australian Teacher Education Association. The affiliated schools program that Chris leads has recently been renewed for another five years. Chris Morrissey, welcome to Fresh Ed. Thanks, Will. Thanks for the opportunity. You are the first University of Canberra staff member that I'm interviewing, and we get to do it in person. So thank you for being sort of the guinea pig on this. So I want to jump right into basically initial teacher training. And so in Australia, which is where we are, how does initial teacher education traditionally prepare teachers for the actual classroom, like getting ready to go into a school? So I understand it's similar in other countries of the world that students in initial teacher education will commence to do practicums at the end of the teaching period from their first year. And in our case, they do an observation in their first year and then over the next three years of their degree or two years of their degree, they do incrementally longer practicums and um, more and, and higher expectations around those. And that's linked to what they have theoretically learned in the classroom. That is, it is growing in their knowledge as well. Okay, and so these initial teacher trainers or teachers that are in their practicum, they wouldn't be taking a class at the university at this time. They would just be working in a school. Do they sometimes have mentors at the school? And an experienced teacher will be sort of helping them. And so in their classrooms, they'll have another teacher sort of with them at all times, right? At all times. And that person has the duty of care and the responsibility to develop and support the pre-service teacher. And how long do practicums usually last? So in our case, they go from two weeks or 10 days in the second year through to three weeks and up to five or six weeks in the fourth year. Right. Okay. And then after that, they get a certificate to say they are eligible to teach in whatever state or territory. Correct. So in Australia, for uh, undergraduate students, they require a minimum of 80 days classroom experience. And for postgrad students, 60 days. Right. Okay. Now, thinking that that traditional model, what are some of the problems and limitations that have been identified with such an approach to initial teacher education? So it's seen in the literature as being one of the biggest flaws in the model is the separation of theory and practice. So it basically has the premise that students will learn something over there, in our case, 12 weeks of a semester, and then they'll go into a, a practicum and they will have an opportunity to practice that and to, in that space. So there's a separation there, and it's really interesting that, that even Dewey back in the 1900s identified that that was the biggest problem with education, and the whole of the 20th century, it was uh, a contested area, and nothing changed. And so it still came to the to 21st century, and it's only been sort of around the early 21st century, although there are a couple of models uh, one in the States, one in the UK. Now, they were actually early this century that did bring together 
the theory right, and right. the practice. And so, like with John Dewey, didn't they have some sort of experimental school or, or laboratory school where he was, and then they were trying to bridge that yeah. theory and practice? And so, you are currently directing a program at the University of Canberra that is trying to sort of change that traditional approach to teacher education, yeah. trying to bridge the theory and the practice. Can you tell me a little bit about yeah. what this program is? So, it's called um, a clinical approach to initial teacher education and the clinical approach brings together the theory and practice and in our case we operate what we call school-based clinics and all of the methods units uh, you see in both primary and secondary undergraduate and postgraduate are taught in schools in a school-based clinic. Right so the initial teacher educators the ones who are enrolled at the University of Canberra when it's time to do their quote-unquote practicum they actually are doing it through a clinic at a school and a practicum. So they're still doing teaching in the school, but then the sort of the theory lessons, the, the lectures, the school-based content that yeah. they would have at the university are also taking place at the school. Yeah. So I'm a social science teacher. I teach secondary social science. My students do two semesters of, of social science, and both of those are held in different school settings. And instead of t attending university, those students attend the school. Right. Okay. And so then the professors at University of Canberra travel to the schools as well. There's a, nothing happens, in a sense, during that practicum at UC. So in the practicum, we don't go and visit yeah. the students. We don't see them. They go off. We hand over to their mentors. We hand over a series of expectations and requirements that they have to sign up on. Yeah. And then if there's an issue, we support our students. But if not, it's all handed over to school teachers, mentors. And one of the issues in that is that quality of mentoring is very variable. Even though we do training for mentors, there are some mentors who are very good and there's others that aren't. So, so what would be a typical day like for a student of UC who's also going through these clinical, so this is sort of clinical model. Okay, so there are four stages to that clinical model. The first stage is that within any of any methods class, the pre-service teachers are organized into teaching teams, generally around three students. So they become their own sort of little learning community there. They need to prepare a lesson that is uh, based on the school's requirements. So let's. I'll, I'll stick with the social science one. So at um, at the most recent one, we were teaching year ten, and we were teaching superannuation, and that was the topic for the that the schools would gave to us. Our teachers prepare. They do this for six weeks. They prepare a lesson. That lesson goes to their tutor uh, professor beforehand, two two three days beforehand, who reviews it and uh, suggests some, some changes if possible or just says that this is great, let's go with it. When we get into the school, we have an hour's tutorial. So we have a dedicated space and we do an hour tutorial and we will be picking up on things that are relevant to us at that school and that, that uh, group of students. Then that teaching team goes off and teaches a small group of school students, mainly 10 to 12 school students. They are observed by the tutor and the teachers of those students. So after an hour's teaching, there is then the final hour, which is a reflection period, and the feedback from the teachers, the feedback from the tutor, the feedback from each other, and did you meet the lesson goals, is then considered. And following that, we go into the preparation for the next lesson based on 
the outcomes of, of this one. Right. So like this three-hour sort of university class, the traditional three-hour class, you, you, you just do it at a school. Yeah, you used to do it on campus. Now you do it in a classroom or in a school. You do a one-hour prep with your tutors. You do the one-hour sort of practicum where you're teaching a lesson in, in a school. And then you do a one-hour reflection. And it's sort of, you can see how the blending of the theory and the practice happens within that three-hour window. You, there's no sort of separation and break, temporal break between any of those elements. And so you refer to this, and I think it's in the literature, the research literature, called the third space. So what exactly does that mean? And how do you see it in that sort of um, scenario that you just laid out for us? So the creator of the third space in education is a guy called Zeichner, who's an American. And he would say, uh, Zeichner says, and I, I might even actually quote Zeichner because he's right up there. He says that third space theory refers to a relationship between schools and universities where the roles and responsibilities of pre service teachers, school-based teachers and teacher educators are altered to create new learning opportunities and that is the third space. So there's a recognition and a respect for school educators and, and university ed educators coming together in a learning community and our students coming together in a learning community and that's the third space. It's in between, I guess I'm not too sure which is number one, the school or the university, <laughs> one and two, this is the third. Right. Was this part of the inspiration for creating such a clinical model here? Absolutely, yeah. And we've got a history of clinical models back going back to around about 2010. So it's quite a while, but it's only with the initiation of the partnership that we transferred it to all methods. And it's prior to that, it was science or health and PE. Right. And I think this partnership is really kind of crucial because it's a partnership, as I understand it, between the University of Canberra and the Australian Capital Territory Education Directorate. And so they're the ones that manage the schools in this territory. And so they have basically given you the permission and the access funding as well. Right. So can you talk a little bit about how did that partnership come about? Because it seems to be so crucial to being able to do this type of model. So this came about over um, a number of years of discussions, the Australian government put a lot of effort into requiring um, partnerships between schools and universities. And they were looking back in 2007, I think it was, they had a, a report that said we need to have a more systematic approach to placements, basically. And the, the best way we can do that is to involve schools and unis together. Mm -hmm. And then by 2013, I think it was, we had a team, what's called the TMAG report, the Education Minister's Action Group or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they said that this has got to happen. We've, universities have got to go to, ahead and form a partnership with, with a school or certainly not with a system, but, but that, that's how this one developed. And so they were putting that pressure on because the literature was saying that the most effective way of getting effective professional experience for students is that the school and the university work together. It's a, it's a shared view for that. What was the hardest part trying to build this partnership? I mean, it sounded like it was built over time. It sounded like the ACT directorate, the university, and the schools all sort of shared a common goal of sort of making placement work better for initial teacher training? Certainly the the uh, university and the system did and the schools sort of already were providing really good professional experiences and so that's the group of schools that sort of 
came together in the first instance, those schools that had already demonstrated. Right. So I guess that does raise this question of which schools are involved. I would imagine in the ACT there's many schools. So the, the directorate at the moment has about 95 schools and uh, 25 of them are in the, the partnership. And so can I just go back a bit? So, so an, an attempt of a partnership was made earlier. Um, let's say we started working on this in 2018 and it took us a year to get it together. But in about 2015 or 16, there was a partnership set up between a couple of other schools in the ACT. Um, and it was the prime purpose of that was to teach the, uh, the new uh, Masters of Teaching course unit. And that one wasn't that successful because of resourcing and lack of drive, I think. Whereas when this one came up in, in 2018, that Dean at the time was really keen. He had his school partnerships were something of his studies for, for some time. And the education directorate had an appetite for it as well. And they were sort of being directed by the government to form something. And so in most cases, a partnership can be one university and one school or one university and a teacher in a school, but there was this sort of big picture to make this a big thing and to make it work and, and have uh, multiple elements. Both parties, both sides, the, the leaders in the directorate at the time and those of us at uni had this vision. And as I say, it took us 12 months to sort of develop the vision and, and get it ready to launch. But there was this, there was a great support for it and the ACT government um, came through with the funding. It's an interesting study into educational change, and it, it doesn't just take an idea that's been written in an article and saying, wow, this is the right way to do it. it there, there needs to be political will, basically, from all the different parties involved. And it sounds like it coalesced. In it, There was a couple fits and starts in the beginning, and then it sort of it, it coalesced, you know, 2013, 2014, 2015 sort of moment. And to recognize the literature, though, we did a lot of research around successful partnerships and, and looked at models in the UK and in the US and in Europe to see what the characteristics were of successful and we incorporated them. We, we set up a group of principles at the start. There was going to be uh, a co-creation. There was going to be um, a reciprocity within it. So it's benefit to both of us. What are the benefits? How do we recognize those? And it's collaborative and, and cooperative. So besides these school clinics, does this partnership entail any other sort of activities then? So as I mentioned before, most partnerships only have one. Mm -hmm. So this one has six, which is a large to do that. So we have professional learning for teachers. And that is, there's, there's two elements of that. Um, that is uh, what we call teachers as researchers. So that's where university uh, staff act as critical friends for a school that identifies an action research project that they're, they're keen on and works with them over a period of nine months. And the other part of the professional learning for uh, school teachers is masterclasses and mentoring workshops that we conduct. The other element is the will, the work learning for students. So that's in the practicums and the clinics. And the third element is the research part of it, or, or, or we called it, uh, we, we, in our research, I think we called it community engaged scholarship. But that's, that was the term where the co-creation of a project was between the school and the university. And, and as you're aware now, that relies on schools to work in, in the formation of that project. So that, that's the other element of it. So that's the, the six things come together. In that research area, we also put in the teachers as researchers because that is, that's both 
uh, research um, development for teachers and also work in professional learning. It's quite amazing because that idea of the third space, it's sort of almost every single element of this partnership has third space characteristics where it's being co-created not only by the different actors involved in this partnership and different stakeholders, but sort of blending what is traditionally done at a university with what is traditionally done at a school and sort of blending them together to create these kind of new spaces in a way, the third space. It is. And in a school, if I'm working in a school with the with the teachers and I'm working with the coordinators, we are talking the same language. We're not the cultural difference that, that is seen a lot between a university and a school. Like we, our, t- our staff here, there's, and there's about, there's about 15 or 16 involved any semester in clinics. They are in schools every semester for a period of six weeks at this time. They are seeing schools in action. Their knowledge is contemporary of how a school works rather than the idea of the academic who's distant to a school. The ivory tower where you're sort of sitting above, you know, all the stuff that's happening. So, but that's quite amazing. So if the academic semester here is 12 weeks, you're saying that half of that is spent inside schools. So in a way, the third space for an academic like yourself is totally different because you actually are spending a huge amount of time not at the University of Canberra. You're actually inside these schools. Are you just traveling around to all these different schools working and, you know, gosh, you must have like hundreds of colleagues. So we work in different schools. So this semester, for example, I've worked in two schools, two high schools actually, and both large schools and with a different set of teachers and a different set of students. So that's that's my experience for somebody else, maybe somebody doing one of the primary ones. They might have, uh, let's say, the science person they might have four clinics and they are in four different schools uh, over the week and that's their, that's their classes. It's quite an incredible sort of reimagination of yeah. teacher education. Do we know anything about the effectiveness of this program? Now, it's, you said it sort of started in 2018, yeah. really got going in 2019. It's been a few years now. I think it's been just renewed for another five-year term. So, uh, you know, what do we know about sort of the outcomes of what's being produced through these sort of school clinics? Yeah. Yeah, so our own research on it is we do an evaluation every semester. So we've got a lot of data from now from, from we're just doing the finishing off the data collection on our 10th semester. And, and what we find is that we, we identify elements of classroom readiness or, or school readiness and we ask the students to, to rank how they feel they've developed in this, in this, in, in that area. And the results are outstanding. So that every single time, and they're consistent, that something like 90% plus of students would say that my lesson planning has improved as a result of participation. My classroom management has improved. My differentiation strategies has improved. So that's showing us that. And then the literature would say that pre-service teachers that experience a clinical model Turn, have a greater level of classroom readiness for that. So that's the, that's the outcome there. And there's, there's some good literature around that. Linda Darling Hammond, who's sort of the guru, she's got a word. She calls it the holy grail. So the, the clinical model is the holy grail of professional learning, uh, development experience for pre-service teachers. And are there any ongoing studies to sort of compare and contrast what's happening with the traditional initial teacher education, the practicum, because obviously that's still happening in the ACT, with what's happening with these school clinics in 
the affiliated school program? So our understanding, our teachers see their students teaching in context. So they know where their teaching strengths are and, and where their challenges are. In the practical model, we've got no idea. We get a report at the end from somebody else about that. So we believe that our teachers have got a better idea of how they're tracking and can respond to that than the practical model. That's one of the things that we see as the advantage. And for example, in, in a, if, if a student is having difficulty in the practicum and there's a call for support, the first person I would speak to would be their methods teacher to say, can you tell me about this? And they might say, well, yeah, they did struggle a little bit with, with classroom management or something like that, and I suggest that this we support them in this right, way. Right. So we've got that opportunity. But the practicum, I've just discovered one other university in Australia that is doing something similar, but it's with one school and it is with a, a different model. It's, it's a similar model, three hours a week, but they do different things in that. And it's it, the, the scale of it compared to this is, is really small. It's more like that John Dewey approach where there was a single school yeah. where they sort of experimented and you know, tried to reimagine what a teacher education looked like, whereas this is across 25 schools or something. Yeah, the, the scale of ours is that each semester we have uh, 25, we had 27 clinics this semester across, that would be, I think it was something like 30 schools primary and high schools, yeah. there's 650 of our students involved, or about half of them. There's 25 school communities. There's about 80 school teachers, and there's about 2,000 school students. It's huge, yeah. The yeah. scale of it is so different to any other precedents. And you were saying, so 650 university students are in this school clinics each semester. Does the University of Canberra offer that sort of traditional practicum-based teacher training anymore or is it only school-based? No, no, no. So at the end of every semester, they do a practice. Right. These would not contribute enough days to the requirement. Right. So but so the school clinics happen before the practicum then, yeah. sort of big preparation for that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. So it's not necessarily replacing the traditional approach. It's sort of being scaffolded and supplementing onto it. And so one of the things I've learned, I'm new to the ACT and I've been learning about the school system and, you know, the, the directorate itself. And it, it seems historically like the ACT directorate has been a real site of innovation because of the way it was sort of created 50 years ago out of the almost out of the blue to and given authority over its schools before that it was it was assumed by New South Wales and so it you know everyone that you talk to from Posse Salberg who's studying Australian education you know across the country or but even if you talk to just a, uh, someone who used to teach in the ACT they'll tell you how sort of innovative and the directorate itself tries new things all the time from the college system to joint libraries to you know yeah. you name it is this you know the affiliated school program that you've been working on is this sort of another chapter of the ACT's innovation that they've had over time do you think yeah I believe so because there was the will of the people in the directorate at the time uh, five years ago to make it happen and because the capacity that the ACT government has been one of our greatest supporters. They have got the political, as you mentioned before, they've got the political support mm. to do it. The minister is a regular visitor to any of these activities. She loves being there to see it. She just supports it wholeheartedly. So it's not the only the education director. I think it's the ACT mm. itself that, that generates that sort of 
uh, innovation. Is there a risk that if the politicians change, new ones get elected, that there could be a risk to the program itself? Apparently not. So it's not a political decision each year. It, the funding is, is already there year by right. year. And so when we have we just done a renewal, we were fearful of that initially. But they just assured us to say that, no, it's on. It's on. Wow, okay, excellent. So obviously it's, it's providing some value to the directorate itself. Yes. It's not just value to UC or the schools themselves. Yes. The core understanding and the, the infographic that we set up initially was to improve student learning outcomes within schools. And so everything that we are doing has that ultimate goal. So whatever we're doing, the clinics is providing uh, teachers in ED schools with the sort of the opportunity to see young pre-service teachers in action yeah, and yeah. to sharpen their teaching strategies and approaches to yeah. that. The practicums does the same, the professional learning that we offer. The other thing I didn't mention about one of the professional learning is there's a Masters of Education intensive yeah. um, with scholarships provided by the Education Directorate and over the last four years there would be hundreds of ACT right. teachers who have got a Masters. So they are taking that learning into their schools as well. It's really quite incredible when you think about it. I listen to Radio National on my trip into university every day. And a narrative is quite, you know, one of the things they report on often is the sort of the teacher supply crisis in Australia. And they often connect it to COVID and how a lot of teachers sort of left the profession at this point and because of all the extra stress that was added. And it just made me wonder, do we know anything about the affiliated school program and these school clinics with sort of preparing teachers that then stay to be teachers, like the retention of teachers. Do we know if this affiliated school program is sort of helping solve this supposed teacher supply crisis that I hear about on Radio National all the time? Yeah. So what we know is that we are hearing anecdotally that our teachers are very well prepared for teaching at the moment. So we we can't produce enough teachers for the supply right. that's required. We just don't have that. We are producing teachers who, because of their, their readiness and that, are more likely to stay within the teaching profession. So we can offer that. We know also that during COVID, we, with our clinics, we went online and schools allowed that to happen for us. Mm -hmm. During COVID, the ACT Education Directorate allowed our placements to continue in, in other states that didn't occur. And so our placements became either remote, working with, with schools to do that. So, and then as soon as the schools opened up, we know that the schools were ready to take the clinics again so that they really welcomed them back because they value them. And the school communities value them greatly as well. I just go back to a, a question you asked about selection. For that, yeah. um, so just basically with the selection, we wanted to acknowledge the diversity of the ACT, and so a part of the selection is there are early childhood schools, primary schools, secondary schools, and colleges, and they're spread right throughout the ACT. Mm -hmm. That's the, the diversity. Yeah. So we're making that the, we're just getting around to selecting the new ones, and we'll apply the same to that. So mm -hmm. socioeconomic diversity educational diversity, 
and geographical. Right. Okay. And so these schools apply to be part of this program? Not round one, but round two. Round two they did, right. And is there any goal to expand this program to reach more schools or is there a capacity issue? Yeah, there's a capacity issue, yeah. We're stretched. We're only a small faculty. And at the moment, they... The, the directorate, at, at the moment we're doing um, something like, I think, 12 teachers as researchers projects this year. And so that's 12 of our staff who are acting as critical friends. The directorate want us to take that to 16, 17 from next year. So wow. that's a challenge to us. We've sort of said we'll try and do it if we can. We might have to come up with some other models of doing it. But they really enjoy They like the program, so they want us to expand. So, okay, so there, there's some tension there where the government is saying we want more and more and more, but the university is saying we don't have enough staff. You know, I mean, I keep sitting here thinking this program is just a gold mine for researchers to unpack what's going on. And, you know, from the real sort of random controlled trials, sort of effectiveness research, to down to the how does it actually affect sort of teacher retention in, in the long term and on students and, you know, on, on teaching quality. I mean, there's so many angles that you could sort of approach this massive project. But I do wonder, the other thing I wonder about is, you know, this teaching crisis in Australia is seen countrywide, nationwide. It's not just an ACT specific thing. And so it makes me wonder, is this model that you've been sort of pioneering and spearheading and developing and refining over the last few years, is this something that you think could actually be, in a sense, copied or borrowed and sort of used in other states and territories in the country? Yeah, we believe it is transferable. And I so I wonder why aren't others doing it? And I've, in the last two years, I think I've presented at, at uh, maybe four conferences and uh, afterwards, people come up and say, I wish we could do something like that. Um, but I think you'd have to have the will and the, you'd have to be convinced that it's going to work as well. And there is there's costs for the university to do that. But in our, in our case, our faculty sees the benefits of it and is prepared to pay that cost. Um, and like you have to, if I look at um, New South Wales, I, I know of a partnership between their university and about four or five schools, but it's just got a practicum base. So it's basically finding spots for pre-service teachers for placements, for practicums, and providing an opportunity for schools to see who's on the market and give them first dibs at, at students who are coming through. The purpose of that is, is practically based. And we, we've got another partnership ourselves with New South Wales, which is also based on that. Chris Morrissey, thank you so much for joining Fresh Ed. There's so much more to unpack with this program. And so hopefully you can come back on once we know more about how this program impacts in all these different facets. So thanks so much for joining. Thanks, Will. Chris Morrissey is a clinical associate professor at the University of Canberra, where he leads the Affiliated Schools Program. A transcript of today's interview with a selection of resources for further exploration can be found at freshedpodcast.com. Please note that opinions expressed on FreshEd are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed, not FreshEd, which takes no institutional position. If you've liked what you've heard today, please rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Reviews really do help. FreshEd's team includes Fati Octus, Obafemi Ungunle, Annabella Afroboteng, Phyllis Che Mensa, and Jose Neto. Original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Fresh Ed is an independently run podcast without advertisements and is made possible by the support of NORAG, the Shakta Family Fund, and listeners like you. Please consider donating to Fresh Ed by visiting freshedpodcast.com slash donate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and I'll be back next week.